Hello, I'm Peter Van Dusen, and this is the Primetime Politics Podcast. On Primetime Politics tonight, the Conservative leader unveils his long-awaited climate plan, and it includes a carbon levy and rebates that must be used for green purchases. We'll examine the plan and MPs will debate. A dangerous intersection between vaccine anxiety and surging COVID-19 cases as Ontario sets a new record for daily infections. Lots of questions for Health Canada's chief medical advisor. And our panel of party commentators on the pandemic latest and the new Conservative climate plan. We'll begin tonight with the climate plan unveiled by the Conservatives today. And after a steady years-long campaign against a federal carbon tax, the centerpiece of the Conservative plan is a price on carbon. The Conservatives are proposing a carbon levy that begins at $20 per tonne of greenhouse gas emissions for any purchase of fossil fuels such as gasoline. The price would rise to a maximum of $50 a tonne over time. The current Liberal carbon tax sets the price at $40 per tonne, rising $10 each year to $170 per tonne by 2030. 90% of the revenue raised under the Liberal carbon plan goes back to consumers in rebates. Instead of direct rebates, the Conservatives would establish personal low-carbon savings accounts, and consumers could draw from those accounts for green purchases such as energy-efficient windows or furnaces, transit passes, electric vehicles, or bicycles. The Conservative plan would maintain the Liberal carbon pricing plan for big emitters, and they pledge their plan will also meet Canada's emissions targets for 2030. Conservative plan also mandates car makers to produce 30% zero-emissions light-duty vehicles by 2030. And tax incentives are included for carbon capture technologies. The Conservative leader was pressed to explain why his proposal is different from a carbon tax. Zero dollars go to government. This is not a tax at all. I have said it is a pricing mechanism for consumers. It will be one-third the, the pricing of Mr. Trudeau's ever-rising carbon tax, but nothing goes to government. It is not a tax. And I think Canadians who are quite accustomed to smart purchasing decisions and managing their own finances and affairs will see the benefit of complete transparency and then their decisions on purchases in the future to help them lower their emissions. He's, uh, he's putting in place a carbon a tax that he said yesterday he wouldn't do, but he's not calling it a carbon tax. And he's putting it in place in a way that it's not going to be effective. He's putting it in, in place in a way that takes choice away from Canadians. He's putting it in place in a manner that he says he won't enforce it with the provinces. Um, so, uh, so I think he's trying to be all things to all people. And the problem when you do that, when you try to pretend to people who care about climate change that you care, but you try to pretend to your base that you really aren't doing very much, nobody believes you. Well, let's bring in members of Parliament now to debate the climate plans, now that we know what the Conservatives are proposing for Canadians. Chris Biddle is the Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of the Environment. Eric Duncan is the Question Period Coordinator for the Official Opposition Conservatives. 
And Laurel Collins is the environment critic for the NDP. It's good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Mr. Duncan, let me start with you. It's the conservative plan we saw today. So your leader promised to get rid of the carbon tax and he's replaced it with his own carbon tax, although he's calling it a levy, not a tax. Let's be clear about that. But it does raise the cost of fuel for consumers, just as the current liberal carbon tax does. So explain how your party's proposal is different. Proposal is different in the sense that money's not going to Ottawa. Uh, it is going into a savings account for Canadians to spend it on initiatives, green initiatives, as they choose to. There's a lot of opportunities and ways to do that, but we don't need to send billions of dollars to Ottawa to have it redirected and uh, go back to Canadians that way. It's going to stay in a savings account. And again, I think it's going to be astronomically more affordable. It's going to help the cost of living. And at the same time, we're going to meet our climate change goals and targets. Okay, let me add, that we need Mr. 2030 and 2050. Mr. O'Toole promised that big emitters would carry the freight and not consumers, but consumers are going to continue to face extra costs under, under your plan. So do you think that's really the promise Mr. O'Toole made to Canadians and in particular to the supporters who chose him as Conservative leader? I, I believe so. And look, Peter, uh, large emitters are a big part of that plan. When we talk about carbon capture and sequestering, uh, different topics uh, when it comes to large emitters, they are going to be a key part of addressing climate change. And our plan, 15 pages, it is detailed, it has been reviewed, uh, and to meet those targets and those standards, a huge part of this is going to be those large emitters, and we are going, uh, working with them, All right. going after reducing their targets. Absolutely, it's a big Mi part of that. Mr. Biddle, has, any plan has to be. Mr. Biddle, how do you believe this Conservative proposal compares to the Liberal approach to fighting climate change? Well, I don't know that 15 pages on a climate plan is detailed. And after 15 years of inaction on climate, 15 pages isn't going to change anything with the Greenwash Climate Initiative. Um, this is a plan where the more you burn, the more you earn. So it doesn't incentivize anyone to cut back on what they're doing. Uh, Aaron O'Toole's carbon tax will cost more and do less. It's not a real plan. Um, we're glad they're entering this space, um, but Canadians expect a real plan and we're still waiting for it from the Conservative right. Party. Uh, Laurel Collins, what's your assessment of the plan unveiled by Mr. O'Toole today? Yeah, you know, a few weeks ago, it wasn't clear whether the Conservatives even, you know, believed that climate change was real. Uh, at their convention, the vote was incredibly disappointed. And now this plan, it doesn't actually clear things up for Canadians. It's a deeply unserious plan. Uh, and at the same time, I just, you know, the, my liberal colleague mentioned greenwashing and this unserious conservative climate plan does not let them off the hook. They have missed every single climate target. Their plans sim similarly does not match the scale of the crisis. We need to do so much more. Let me let me drill down a bit, uh, Mr. Duncan, on uh, one of the, this this key offering in in the conservative plan. Uh, right now, those provinces subject to the federal carbon tax get a, a rebate from the federal government in tax time, and that rebate's the same for each taxpayer in the province. Uh, it's 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 apportioned the same way. Uh, in, instead, your leader's plan creates this low carbon savings account that will actually reward higher consumption of fossil fuels. The more gas you buy, for instance, the more you get in your account. How will that incentivize, uh, Mr. Duncan, change in carbon consumption? Well, here's a challenge that we have, Peter, with this. And um, I, Chris would be a good example here in St. Catharines as well. He has a lot of residents and constituents that would travel to work in Hamilton or in the GTA. I have the same situation in my riding in rural uh, southeastern Ontario, where a lot of people worked in Montreal or in Ottawa. They're not 
driving kilometers to hurt the environment. They're doing it to go to work. It's a necessity on that. And what we're talking about, when they fuel up, the dollars go into a savings account that can help them towards the purchase of an electric vehicle, purchases of more sustainable and environmentally friendly uh, tools and incentives and technology that's going out there. I, I just think we get this notion of where they're encouraging to burn more. My constituents don't have a choice. They're living in our community. They're commuting to work. They're taking their kids to soccer and to sports. We li in living in rural areas, you've got to drive. We just I can't hop on a subway okay. in South Mountain, population 300, and go in. Mr. Biddle, we talk about having that. It does doesn't balance out, Pete. Okay. I just want to say the, the rebate program and the equality aspect of it, it's not equal because different residents that have to drive more kilometers because they live in a rural area right. well, the, or have to drive, they're getting disincentivized. They're not ahead. Okay, Mr. Program. Biddle, let me hear you on this. Well, it, there is an incentive. And so if everyone's getting the same amount, it encourages people to choose greener options, whether that be a different type of vehicle or in my, in my part of the world, as Mr. Duncan mentioned, getting on the GO train, taking a bus, um, getting a, um, a transit pass, and pocketing those savings. Our plan, and um, what Canadians expect from a real climate plan, is that it incentivizes a change in behavior. And this is a plan that if, if you have a Mercedes and you're driving a great distance, sure, you may have more money at the end of the year to buy an expensive bike for the weekend, but it's, it's not going to change your behavior because you're benefiting from pollution. All right. And, and sorry. Laura, go ahead. Laura, Laurel Collins, let me hear you on this. What do you think about this uh, low carbon savings account idea? Does it work for you? Canadians do not want some kind of uh, climate miles card or a points program with an approved list of prizes. What they want is a government who actually takes the climate crisis seriously. They want climate action. And this plan does not have real climate action that will actually ensure that we meet our international climate targets and that we're ensuring a livable planet for future generations. Uh, Mr. Duncan, uh, how, how would this, uh, this low carbon uh, uh, savings account work? Who, who's gonna run it? Don't, don't you have to create a, another bureaucracy here to administer this thing? No, we've talked about there's great examples out there in the private sector that do these types of things already. We're going to work with provinces and build on those uh, those programs and examples like it. Uh, I actually think whenever the money's not going to Ottawa, being administered and going back, and again, unequally to Canadians, uh, again, people who commute to go to work, uh, we're, we're talking about transit passes being eligible for that, more uh, uh, better vehicles when they go to work back and forth. But having a vehicle in Canada needing to drive is a necessity. Right. They're not trying or deliberately doing it to pollute. But you're, so again, you're hoping the, the effect happens here is that, okay, if, you, if you've got a, enough money in your low carbon savings account uh, and, and the Conservatives are going to tell you where you have to spend it, you have to spend it on, on greener things. Uh, and I guess some, some Conservatives might object to having a, a government tell them how they have to spend uh, whatever monies they're being rebated. But is that the plan here? You think there'll be enough of an attitude change by virtue of the purchases people make from these low carbon savings accounts? Absolutely. And we've seen, for an example, tax-free savings accounts as ways to save up for retirement. We've seen other comparable things on this. And when there are the incentives, as Chris talks okay. about, this is our way of getting incentives, doing the same thing. But again, as opposed to billions of dollars heading to Ottawa, being divvied up in a bureaucracy and going back, we believe 
leveraging in the private right. sector Ms. as well opportunities. Mr. To Biddle, is that, do, you, do you believe that's enough to uh, incent a change in behavior? It'll come at the, at the back end. So if you're spending a lot of money on fossil fuels, you've racked up some dollars in your low carbon savings account, and now you can go put in more energy efficient windows in your home. It's, it's a wildly complicated setup where there's no details to the plan, but some other corporation or bank is going to run it and uh, manage people's uh, uh, petrol points um, in order for a, a approved list of what they can buy. We have a simple plan that Canadians know at tax time um, what they're going to get, and they can use it right. on what they want. L Laurel Collins, no, no chance this plan could actually work the way the Conservatives have designed it? You know, I think the problem with this plan and the problem with similarly, the problem with the Liberal climate plan is that, you know, there, the idea that carbon pricing is going to be a silver bullet it is a mistake. We need a, a smart, comprehensive carbon pricing plan. The Conservatives clearly are not willing to put something forward that is that would work. Uh, this is untenable. But we also need to make sure that we are investing in transit, in green infrastructure, in green housing, in retrofits. We need a plan that actually matches the scale of the crisis. And All both right. the Conservatives and the Liberals are committed to giving big handouts, billions of dollars to big oil and gas companies. They need to end fossil fuel subsidies if Canadians are going right. to take well, them seriously. Canadians, at some point, we're going to have an election, probably not that far off. Canadians are going to be able to choose which one of these uh, proposals, platforms they think works for them. Thank you all for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. It has been another day of surging COVID-19 infections in Canada. Ontario reporting a new daily record today of 4,736 case, uh, new COVID cases, 29 more deaths. Hospitalizations also mounting as are the number of patients in intensive care and on ventilators. Those numbers underscore the urgency for faster vaccinations, and yet delays in the supply of Moderna vaccine are slowing things down. 1.2 million doses of that vaccine expected to arrive in Canada next week could be delayed until now the first few days of May, creating more uncertainty over vaccine timetables for the provinces. Uh, several provinces have experienced uh, the... Uh, delays or have uh, had to reschedule appointments and we're uh, working with with them closely on managing that so that uh, we we uh, uh, the effect is not felt as much moving forward. So vaccine delays coupled with anxiety and hesitancy because of some of the risks associated with the AstraZeneca vaccine and uh, Johnson and Johnson vaccines uh, could that further complicate efforts to fight the third wave of COVID-19. Dr. Sapriya Sharma is the Chief Medical Advisor for Health Canada. She's with me now. Uh, Dr. Sharma, good to speak with you again. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Look, how, how concerned are you that a growing vaccine hesitancy uh, could hamper efforts to get to herd immunity as quickly as possible while these cases surge in Canada? You know, of course, we're concerned, right? You know, we've always said that even the most effective vaccine is only effective if somebody trusts it and agrees to have it administered to them. So, you know, we have vaccines coming in. We have a number of them that have been uh, authorized, but it's really dependent on people feeling comfortable enough and having enough information to feel confident that they can go 
book their appointments and, and get their vaccines administered. Let's talk about that. I'm, like I'm hearing an anecdotally, and I'm sure you've heard uh, these stories as well, lots of concerns from people expressing a reluctance now to get the AstraZeneca vaccine, and uh, some even Johnson & Johnson when it does get to Canada, uh, or people who have a scheduled appointment for AstraZeneca now talking about putting it off. Uh, how can you reconcile for those people uh, the position of Health Canada that there's a risk, uh, perhaps a link of blood clots from these vaccines, but Canadians should take them anyway? So, you know, when we were talking about the authorizations of these vaccines, we're really clear up at the beginning, right? We have information from clinical trials, and even though those trials uh, involve tens of thousands of people, we still may see rare, very rare side effects come up and be detected um, once you start vaccinating millions and millions of people. Now, and, th and that's what's happened. So there is something, and again, very, very rare. So we always have to put that into context, but it really is a sign that the system is working. So out of all of those millions of doses that were uh, administered, there was an, an adverse event, this, this very unusual rare blood clot that's shown up. It was detected. Everybody around the world is working to assess it. And we wanted to make sure that people know about it, right? So we're not hiding in information. We want to share that information. But really, we need to put it into context. Yeah. And the context is, you know, what are the benefits of getting vaccinated versus what might be a very, very rare risk? So how should someone, uh, how should someone make the decision uh, to accept uh, AstraZeneca or not and, or, or wait for another option? What, what should they be considering? Well, really, it, the, the, when we're talking, even when we're talking about what Health Canada does, so we authorize the vaccines and say, okay, it can be used in Canada. We have other groups that recommend potentially um, the use of it in different age groups. And I just wanted to say that when we're talking about those different age groups, it's not because of a higher risk of this type of clot per se, but it's really around the risk of COVID and getting COVID and potentially getting very sick from it. So if you're an individual... By the time a vaccine is offered to you, it's already been through, you know, the whole assessment at Health Canada. It's taking into considerations the recommendations from, you know, the, the immunization committee. The provinces and territories are looking at, at what's happening with COVID-19 in their population and who's living in the, in the province and mm -hmm. territory. And they're deciding which vaccines to use in different areas. So by the time that a vaccine is offered to you, all of those considerations are already taken, um, you know, we've been taken into, into account. Yeah. And so what we're saying is when you're offered a vaccine, then take the first one that's offered to you because the longer you wait to get vaccinated, the longer it is that you're not protected potentially, you know, about from getting COVID-19 and getting seriously ill from COVID-19. Right. So we, we, you know, people are bombarded with information during the, during this pandemic and they hear about, uh, you know, a country that suspends the use of AstraZeneca, such as Denmark, and uh, that sets off red flags when, when they hear that and, and wonder if, uh, you know, in, in that they're not convinced it's safe and they wonder why Health Canada is convinced it is if Denmark's convinced it's not or is concerned that it's not. Right. When it comes down to those choices, right, so each of those public health um, organizations for their country and what's happening with COVID-19 in their country makes the decision about which vaccines they'll use. So it depends on how many cases they have, if they're seeing surges, um, what other alternative vaccines they have. So, you know, that's why we're seeing that. Now, on the, on the Health Canada equivalent side, so the regulatory groups that look at overall benefits and risks and the safety of the vaccines – it's been completely consistent across the world. So there's been, you know, no country that suspended the use of the vaccine. But, you know, as we said on the public health side, they have to take a look at 
all these other considerations as well. Okay, a minute I, we have left together here. We have lots of supply coming from other vaccine makers over time. Is any consideration being given to just parking AstraZeneca and just using Pfizer and Moderna? We've contracted for 120 million doses of those vaccines. Even if that means pushing out vaccine timelines, what's the danger of that? So, I mean, that's absolutely part of the, the assessment that's being done at, at NACI. You know, what are the supplies that we are expecting to have? What are we facing in terms of, of uh, the COVID outbreak? And what other alternatives? The, the risk of waiting and not using all the vaccines that we have is the, you know, there's some analysis that's been done that says in, if you're in an area that has moderate or high COVID transmission, you know, potentially a wait of a day or a wait of a few days mm. might make the difference and tip the balance in terms of you getting COVID and getting very sick. So All that's right. that time that you may not be protected. All right. Dr. Sharma, as always, thanks uh, so much for your time tonight. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time too. Well, let's bring in our weekly panel of political commentators. Susan Smith is a liberal commentator. Will Stewart is a conservative commentator. And Kia Vashnajafi is an NDP commentator. It's good to see you all again this week, folks. Uh, look, uh, Susan, let me start with you. And how, how big of a problem do you think we're facing, uh, all of us, because of what is a growing vaccine hesitancy in this country because of some of these links to blood clots with AstraZeneca concerns about Johnson & Johnson? And is, and is Health Canada doing a good job of making the case to Canadians to go ahead with these vaccines despite the risks? I think few people are making a good case to Canadians uh, about the, the low level of risk. Health Canada is trying public health agency is trying. The company itself needs to do a better job. The reality is, and what I've seen that I really like through social media, and I think it's more peers than anything else that's going to make people feel better. The confusion is bad. I had no hesitancy in getting a shot yesterday, none whatsoever. The risks for not, the risks associated with blood clots are exceptionally low. And there are risks, and there are much higher risks that we deal with on a normal basis in our lives, whether it's women who do who have pregnancies or other medicines that we're just ordinarily used to. For some reason, we've got gotten ridiculously hypersensitive. Your your risk is way higher um, for issues related to catching COVID than any risk you might have if you get these shots. So we'll, the government, everybody needs to tell people, get the shot we'll, as we'll fast me, as you can. Let me turn to Will's story here. Uh, we, um, I guess some people are concerned we're, we're coming to this dangerous intersection, Will, where you've, you've got this hesitancy, you've got a delay in the vaccine supply, in particular with, with Moderna, and here we are in, a, in a, uh, a, a rising third wave. How do you think this is all being handled? Well, I want to start by 100% agreeing with Susan, which is not something that probably typically <laughs> happens between the Conservatives and the Liberals. But, you know, when we're talking about vaccines here, the best vaccine is frankly the one that you can get in your arm first. Uh, I agree with Susan on this. We need to do more to uh, get rid of the vaccine hesitancy that we, we tend to be seeing. And I honestly think it's, it's, an, it, it's, it's spillover from American-style politics where COVID and vaccines were much more of a political issue than what we see here. We don't see the Conservatives and Liberals disagreeing on who should get the shots when, et cetera. We can discuss rollouts. We can mm. discuss supplies. There's lots for Susan and I to fight about on the vaccines. But if you're offered a shot or you have the opportunity to get a shot, the answer is always yes. Please go and get that shot. But, but is it Do we need to communicate? Yeah. Is it strictly that, Kiyavesh? I mean, one of the, the things that people talk about is the, this notion that, OK, you know, we have the uh, the National uh, Vaccine Advisory uh, uh, 
committee saying, you know, setting certain restrictions for how to use some of these vaccines and that you have Health Canada saying uh, essentially a, a, a competing or contradictory message. So is that part of the issue here that it, what our leaders are telling us? Let me join Will to also agree with Susan 100 percent. There's unanimous consent here. Um, look, the, the difficulties around these nuances of uh, medication and side effects communication has always been there. But now we're hypersensitive because we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are paying attention. But one thing is clear. All the communication around vaccines and COVID is happening from the podium. That's not where you catch the vast majority of people. There's almost zero advertisement talking about the importance of vaccine. The messaging is all over the place talking about which vaccine is better. And we've heard, including some politicians, including uh, Premier Ford, saying that you know he wasn't going to roll the dice on, on AstraZeneca, which, I mean, thankfully, he's cleared that up by taking AstraZeneca, but it wasn't helpful. Um, there should be one message. The best vaccine is the vaccine that goes into your arm. Uh, and, you know, I'm envious of Susan. Congratulations for getting the vaccine. I cannot <laughs> wait for my shot. and I don't care which shot it is. The moment it's available, yeah. I'm taking it. Well, full, full, di full disclosure, I should say that uh, I've had my shot. Uh, I, I was in, I'm in an age group that uh, allowed me to get right. it out of pharmacy, and it was the AstraZeneca. Uh, yeah. I, but I, And I say that, I, I took it largely before all of these concerns came out, but uh, I mean, I'm, you, you talk Susan, to a lot of people who are having this conversation about with and typically with peers. I'm hearing from neighbors saying, I'm, I'm not sure I should wait. Maybe I'll I'll, I'll wait for the, the Pfizer or the Moderna to become available for my age group. And, uh, you know, um, so, it, and it's I tough for a lot of people what... facing this decision. It's a personal decision. I think it is, Peter, and it's important for them to hear from people like you. I mean, you're a voice, too, saying, hey, it's OK. I got mine. I'm just fine. Uh, and in fairness to our governments, um, the confusing messages are coming from other countries as well. You look at the nonsense going on in Denmark where they've said, oh, you know, no thanks. We're good with what we've got. But the important thing I think to look at is the UK. They've vaccinated millions and millions of people there and they're just fine. I mean, the incidences of blood clots are very low. Talk to how many how many women are on the birth control pill around the world. The incidences of blood clots for that are so right. much higher. Okay, let so me... I think people have to exert a bit of common sense. Government has to do a better job of communicating. So does the company, and so do people who are influencers in their own communities. A lot of... So get the shot, like everybody okay. says, and then tell everybody. You seem to be largely aligned on that. Let me let me move to an area where you may not be. Uh, well, let me move to you and, and the uh, climate plan unveiled by Aaron O'Toole today. Are all Conservatives celebrating this? Is a great move? Look, I, I think this is probably a point where you're right. There's going to be a lot of disagreement on the panel. So we'll, we'll try to get into that uh, robust discussion. I think the challenge for the Conservatives here is uh, how do they have a plan on the environment that makes it not something that they have to discuss during the campaign? And I think that's why you see the timing today. It's why you see uh, O'Toole cautiously embracing uh, a measure of, of carbon pricing. In, in different ways than the Liberals are. You know, are Conservatives uh, the ones who are, are going to be jumping for joy on this? Um, probably not. I think O'Toole has a sell job to do within his own party. But really, I, I think from a strategy point of view, this isn't about changing votes. It's about stopping him from losing votes. Um, and I think that's really where it is. The Liberals have been spectacularly successful. But, but will it do that? A lot of Conservatives are going to look at that. Look, this is a tax. He's calling it a levy, but it's a tax. And, well, and not only me, is it a tax, but he's got a new savings account idea and he's going to tell me the way I have to spend the money. 
Well, I mean, we, we have savings account for education. We have savings account for retirement. Right, we but you can do what you want with that money. With He's telling you, in this, in this can, plan, you have to spend it on something green. We'll give you, you're going to make money? At least, at least it stays in your own bank account. I don't buy the liberal plan that says it. we're going to take a bunch of your money. We're going to take a bunch of your money. We're going to have a lot of civil servants and politicians decide where that money goes, and you're going to get the money back. Here's okay, the conservative me, view is let's no. take out the middleman. Let me, let me jump let's to you. Kiyavash, what do you think of this plan? Well, Peter, um, most days I don't feel very smart about my own political strategy, but then days like this happen. I'm like, well, I'm at least not this bad. It's a lose, lose, lose situation. I have no idea what exactly they were planning to do um, here. On the one hand, uh, he has just uh, broken ranks with his base, with his party, uh, with three, four premiers who are in court uh, over this issue. And uh, and then on the other hand, he he is trying to make the a policy and a tool uh, that is just barely scratching the surface of the challenge that we're facing with climate change. And he's trying to take away the ability of that tool to actually bring down uh, our um, our emissions. Uh, and by the way, I do not for a second believe that they had this you know independent panel looking at this policy and say that this policy could actually reach the, the targets for 2030. There's absolutely no way we can do that with the kind of, um, with the kind of proposal right. that he's got. I think he's going to have a ton of problems during the campaign. I like what Will says. He's going to have okay, cabinet wait. ministers. I've only got him. I've got less, uh, candidates got less, less than a minute here. I just quickly want to hear from you on this quickly, Susan. I think if we have time, we're going to give the last maybe 15 seconds to Will uh, since it's a, it, it's a conservative plan. But give 20 seconds here, Susan. What's wrong with this plan? Okay. You asked, you asked Will at the beginning if conservatives are jumping for joy. The answer is no. And at least 54% of them at the party at the convention less than a month ago said, uh-uh, no way. So there's an issue with Aaron O'Toole. Can the party trust him and can, can, uh, can the public trust him on this? He's actually put forward a plan that's, that's goofy at best, confusing, at, uh, confusing in the middle and ineffective at worst. Canadians right now in, okay, in provinces where there's no backstop, they get the money right back into their bank accounts, right back into their pockets. Aaron O'Toole is going to take it away from them, and he's going to tell them if maybe they can spend it on a bike for All their right. kids or not. Well, let me give a final word to you on this. How does he yeah. make this work? I mean, no surprise that the NDP and the Liberals are coming down on the side of more money coming out of Canadians' pockets and going straight into government's pockets. That's what they do. If you like that and you think it's actually done something and we've moved anywhere near our Paris agreements, then you should vote for the NDP and the Liberals. If you think that there's enough money, that taxes are actually revenue projects, not environmental programs, that more money in the hands of families okay. to spend the money better, that's where Aaron O'Toole okay. is putting okay. his money. Right. Okay. He's I'm leaving gonna... money well, in the pockets well, well, of families we'll, we'll have to, what they want with it. We'll have to leave it there for this week. Thank you all. Uh, take care. Thanks we'll so talk much. again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Bye, everyone. Nice to see you, man. That is all the time we have for this edition of Primetime Politics from all of us here at CPAC. Thanks for watching. See you next time.